interested in starting your own podcast? Audioboom can help with our $9.99 monthly subscription plan for hosting and distribution. You'll get 200 minutes of recording time per episode, a branded homepage on the Audioboom platform, embeddable players for web and social media, advanced analytics, and so much more. To sign up for your $9.99 monthly subscription plan, go to audioboom.com start. That's A-U-D-I-O-B-O-O-M dot com slash S-T-A-R-T. This is the MLW Radio Network. Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to Primetime with Sean Mooney. And all I can say is, wow. I mean, the word has definitely gotten out about the podcast since we launched the new format, welcoming a new guest every week. Uh, our number of new listeners uh, has incredibly skyrocketed. It's been awesome, and I think I'm calling it the uh, the Bruce Factor because uh, my friend Bruce Pritchard came on as my first guest with this new format, and uh, things really blew up. We followed that up uh, with the million-dollar man Ted DiBiase, and then, of course, my longtime close personal friend Gene Okerlund. And uh, I have to tell you, I thoroughly enjoyed all three of those conversations. Last week was awesome, catching up with Gene. Uh, we have stayed in touch over the years, but it was amazing talking about some of the great days that we had together in the WWF. And, you know, we, we talk uh, when we would see each other, but we haven't really gone back in time. And I actually learned a few things about those early days when I first arrived. And it was great to hear Gene's perspective on all that happened with Hulkamania and just the explosion of the WWF at the time. Um, folks, we've got uh, many more great guests on the way in the coming weeks. This episode is absolutely no exception. Uh, he is the man who I like to refer to as the the one, uh, the man who put the I in the word achieve. It is absolutely incredible what he's accomplished in the ring, but also what he's done since. And we're going to have DDP, Diamond Dallas Page, coming up. Uh, but before we get to DDP, uh, keep the questions and the suggestions and the comments all coming. You can contact me through Twitter, of course, at Sean Mooney Who, and by email at primetime at MLW.com. I'm going to repeat those, at Sean Mooney Who, that's Twitter, and then email primetime at MLW.com. And I really want to hear from you and find out uh, who you'd like to see come on the show, what guests you want to hear from, and send along some questions, uh, whatever you want to uh, you know, tell me about or, or, or stories you want to tell me that I can bring up during these interviews because it certainly uh, makes these podcasts much better because, uh, you know, from the beginning, I wanted to involve uh, our listeners because that's it's really about you guys. Uh, I'm just the vessel, as they say, to, uh, to do these shows, and, and I'm loving it. Um, check out the Primetime Tea Collection. Uh, you know, the, we, it, it's a lonely uh, website, at least that part of it. Uh, we really would like to have you check out the Primetime Tees from ProWrestlingTees.com. Uh, be among the tens. Uh, I wish I could say hundreds, but not at this point. You can get the very rare collectible tea, the Sean Mooney Who uh, tea. There's also the... Uh, the Ding 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 Tea, and of course the uh, very popular Primetime with Sean Mooney Tea. Absolutely, uh, it's not true because it's brand new. Uh, <laughs> but it's a great way to support the podcast, folks. Uh, and uh, we're going to have great, more great teas coming up on the way. But uh, in the meantime, check out the collection at ProWrestlingTees.com. 
We've also given away a number of the WWE unreleased unseen matches DVDs. But, you know, a lot of people, because you know how we were doing this, we were having you go to iTunes and then give us a rating and a review and, of course, subscribe. And then I was just taking those uh, names from there. But uh, a lot of people brought up the fact that you know, other people listen from different formats. They go to different uh, uh, places to to download the podcast. So, uh, And they want you know, a shot at these DVDs, too. So my producer and I, uh, Casey Drumbeck, uh, Drumbeck has uh, suggested that we do something where everybody can be involved. And we're going to do that. And we figure the best way to do it is by using our Facebook page. And to get started, just go to our Facebook page, uh, Primetime with Sean Mooney, and like us. That's a, that's a great start. We're going to have, uh, as we go in the coming weeks here, we're going to start putting up you know, videos. Already you can go there and hear clips from some of the interviews to get a little taste of what's coming up when we drop the podcast every Wednesday at 7 a.m. Eastern Time. But I'll have all the details on how you can win next week but it's going to be through our Facebook page. So in the meantime, uh, get to Primetime with Sean Mooney, the Facebook page there, and like us, and you'll uh, already have a, a big head start there. It's time to get to the main event. Well, everybody, I am very excited to welcome my guest this week uh, on this edition of Primetime. I never had the, the chance uh, to work with him back in the day, but I did get the opportunity to meet him about a year ago at a Wrestling Legends uh, memorabilia event in New Jersey and I have to tell you, I, I realized immediately why they say he remains one of the most dynamic personalities in the world of professional wrestling, and I should say way beyond. Diamond Dallas Page, thank you so much for joining me today on Primetime. It is great to have you with us. Well, thank you for that, uh, that introduction, Sean. <laughs> it, it was a pleasure because, you know, growing up, like, you know, we're, we're right around the same age, and, you know, we grew up with the W. WWF. That's right. You know, and watching you back in the day when you, you first started with them and then went on to other greatness, uh, you know, it was really, it was great. I was like, oh man, finally get to meet you, man. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was a, that was a fun event. Uh, Lex Luger was there and, uh, you know, yes. I, I, my wife was with me. It was like the first time she'd ever been to one of those with me and she was just blown away. She's like, wow, I can't believe all these people you know, remember you. And I'm like, I, I don't get it either, but uh, it's off. It's a, it's a blast. Yeah. But uh, I tell you, I tell you, DDP, uh, you know, doing my research, um, I came to the conclusion that uh, Paige Joseph Falkenberg, uh, that right. was your given name, uh, you're right. officially Diamond Dallas Page now, has, has really had three lives. I mean, you got your, your early years which extended into your 20s, and then your time in professional wrestling, and then an incredibly successful entrepreneur. So I want to start, though. Let's start at the beginning. And, and tell us about your roots. And if I'm correct, uh, you grew up in New Jersey? Yeah, I'm a Jersey boy. Yeah. Uh, you know, Jer Jersey Shore. And, and I like to point out that myself, Bam Bam Bigelow, uh. um, Bruce Springsteen, John Bon Jovi, uh, um, Jack Nicholson and Danny DeVito are all from that Ocean Mammoth County, that Jersey Shore, that the real Jersey Shore area. Again, and that's just that's just a few of us. Yeah, I was going to say that's just the beginning. But what do you think it was about that area? The water? What was it like? Yeah, you know, what a great what a great place for a kid to grow up. Yeah, you know, I mean, like you know, looking back, and you know, I'm 61 now, you know, and. And looking back, uh, I was just with my dad yesterday. He's down in Florida, 
Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, and he's 82 now and like he grew up in Point Pleasant and, uh, you know, so did my mom. And, and, and when I go back there, I'm thinking like, what an amazing place for a kid to grow up, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, I took a lot from that area, you know, and I, and I go back often, you know, enough to see my mom and my sisters and my nieces and, and, uh, you know, my roots are still there. Yeah, I'll always be a Jersey boy. Always will take special attention to somebody from Jersey because Jersey people got to stick together because we've always been picked on from Saturday Night Live on down, <laughs> you know, about being from Jersey. Uh, but we're pretty, uh, we're pretty, a lot of real people come from Jersey. Oh, absolutely. And it is a very proud and a very tough bunch. Uh, you don't mess with Jersey. That, that's for sure. Right. right? <laughs> So I mean, it was a, it was a, a a pretty good upbringing. I mean, I know your 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 parents were divorced. I I experienced oh, yeah. the same uh, type of growing up. But uh, you know, what were some of the challenges? Because obviously, you built up uh, I don't know a persistence. I don't imagine you were born with it. What other uh, you know challenges did you face along the way that that kind of shaped you early on? Well, you know, well, my dad. You know, my mother and father were divorced by the time I was three. You know, I was huh. bouncing around from one family to another, which the positive side of that was, you know, because I was with my dad, you know, and, and he was a wild man. I always say really? my dad couldn't even spell the word father, let alone be one back then. <laughs> you know, he was a wild man, you know, yeah. and so was I. And, you know, um, when I would end up with another families, whether it was cousins or nephew or you know, uncles or aunts or whoever, grandma, grandparents, you know, whenever I get to a different location, it, it helped my adaptability at a whole different level. You know, some people will go into a little box and a shell. For me, I was always, you know, pretty, um, you know, I, I could talk. I could talk to anybody about anything. You know, today I could walk, I could be riding with the Hells Angels one day right. and be, and be hanging with, you know, presidents and, you know, uh, people from, you know, the corporate world, you know, at, at that highest level. Because I'm, I'm just, you know, I, I just was raised that way that, you know, I, I bounced around a lot and I adapted. And then my dad dropped me off because he knew I needed some family structure by the time I was eight years old. Yeah. And my grandmother was raising my brother and sister. And, you know, she was amazing, but... She was, you know, I pretty much started to raise, by the time I was 11 and 12, I was raising myself and, you know, you know, hopping in, you know, hitchhiking here, hitchhiking there to play sports. And, and, uh, you know, I, I, you know, I had my brother and sister more, more, much closer with my sister, but I really, you know, just started to develop relationships with, with friends and they would be my extended family as well. And, you know, you, you, you live and learn off the street, you know, yeah. that's what it was. The, the thing for me, the biggest challenge was, you know, I was, you know, at a time when no one knew anything about ADD or dyslexia, I probably would have been the poster boy for that, you know, because, you know, I didn't, at, at 30 years old, I was reading at a third grade level, you know, hmm. when I finally made a decision to learn how to read. So I had to get through high school, you know, grammar school and high school, you know, I obviously cheated wherever I needed to yeah. because that's the only way you could get by, but also class participation. You know, I, I was a good listener and I was a good talker. And I think that was the beginning parts of me learning, you know, as my grandmother would call the gift of gab. <laughs> yeah. Now, was your was your mom around? Was she in the picture or did your grandmother, you know, pick up that role? It sounds like you were close to her. 
Uh, my mom was super cool, but she was more like a sister to a certain degree, like the 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 older sister who yeah. paid the bills. <laughs> yeah. She you know she was she had me when she was sixteen, so uh, there's not there's not a lot of years between us. And yeah. uh, and she was she always made sure that we had you know that we were supported because she gave my mother you know my grandmother money, you know to t- to take care of us. And uh, I'd see her you know a couple times a month. And then I wouldn't see her for months, but, you know, I could talk to her anytime I wanted to. And, you know, it would be much easier today with FaceTime and all that. But my mom wasn't really like your, your, your Susie homemaker. Yeah. yeah <laughs> now, right. And you, you talk about, you know, uh, uh, you know, you mentioned that you had this kind of crazy upbringing and, uh, and you said it was, there was these positives and it and it sounds like you really value that the fact that you said that you you know you were, became very adaptable to any situation, uh, you didn't know one you know who you'd be talking to one day and maybe going somewhere else. Is that uh, could you say that that was kind of the early beginnings of of what you're able to do later on? You know, here's the biggest thing that I would really notice. I would notice that when I would go to my my dad's side of the family, you know, maybe it was yeah. over there, my grandmother, my aunts, or whatever. They would bury, like bury my mother. Oh yeah, she was a, she was that. When I was at my mother's side, they would bury my mother. <laughs> you know, You're I, in the middle, I, playing the diplomat. Yeah, I just I learned I learned at a very early age that like they both can't be right. Yeah. You know, and right. like these were kids. Like my dad was 21, my mom was 16. I think my dad was 20. My dad was 20, my mom was 16, yeah. and. You know how they Kids. I couldn't even imagine making a decision, yeah. like, you know, you know, over that period. So I at a very early age started. I, I don't really judge people. Now, yeah. if it's something between me and them and I know they dropped the ball, like I'm going to call them out on that, you know, and people who work with me, I go, they don't they don't work for me. They literally work with me. But. You know, I don't judge a situation until I know it all the way through because I can hear someone spout off about this, and I'm not going to react to that till I hear what the other side says. Yeah, you know, and, and I, it sounds like the same philosophy I've I've tried to instill in my kids is that you take everybody one at a time, and, and it sounds like that you have, you kind of have that same philosophy. It doesn't matter what their background is, where they come from. It to me, it's one at a time, and they're all you know, good and bad. Yeah, and look for the positive, yeah. right? Because it's so easy to find the negative. I'll tell you, Sean, we'll, we'll be talking about this probably around summertime. We'll do it, you know, end of the summer. Um, we'll probably do another interview because I'm releasing a book called Own Your Life. Uh-huh. And it's, it's all about the power and the art of being positively unstoppable because it's all about the mindset, the story you tell yourself, that voice inside you, you know, that really controls everything that you do. And most mm-hmm. people aren't even aware that they control everything that they do, <laughs> you know, where they go, what to do, what decisions they make. And I, you know, I brought someone in to write it with me because I needed someone to put my stories together and then I'll rewrite what he writes and back and forth. And what's really fascinating is that the guy who I brought in was in a latch dish effort because the guy I had planned to do this with me, he became a diva. 
and I don't work with divas. Yeah. And you know, at the now I got a you know, I got a book deadline because I'm doing this with Rodale. You know, they're a huge yeah. publisher. Yeah. You know, they and plus they own you know like men's health, women's health, men's fitness. They own all forty different publications. Like they're big time. So when they give you a deadline, you got to hit it. Yeah. And now I've got this new guy, and when I tell you, he's the most pessimistic. I mean, when when I was interviewing him, it was nothing like that. But when he got to my crib, oh my god! <laughs> and it, and and he's and he's watching me and he's listening to me, and I can tell he doesn't believe a word of it. He thinks right. it's another you know flim flam get Feel it good. in the mail. Right, yeah. right. Boom, boom, boom. And then he, but he stays with me a month. And he sees me calling people I don't know. He sees me at my DDP Yoga Performance Center working with people that, you know, maybe paying whatever to be in there for a class. Yeah. You know, but he sees that not just me, but everybody really cares. Like, no, no, no. This is what we do. <laughs> and to what, and we've been filming him the whole time and to watch this guy change and it took a while didn't happen right away but to see him change then fall back and then change almost like the resurrection of jake the snake you've seen that right yes i have okay but jake you know and you know jake you know yeah so when you see jake start to do good then he falls down and then he gets back up and he starts doing really good. Then he falls down. You know, it's all part of the recovery. Well, the same thing when you're trying to own it, when you're trying to own your life, it just, you say, I'm going to do this. And it just happens. Yeah. You got to put the work in and then you got to, you know, keep doing it when you fall down and get back up again. Like I'm so like my business partner, Steve, you, He's the one who's the director of uh, Resurrection. And it was his original idea to move Jake in with me. Now, yeah, I don't, Jake, I can't believe you did that. This <laughs> is the movie, but we'll get into that. Uh, yeah, yeah right. move but, on. You know, the power of the mind. And when you make that decision and then you put the work in, it's unbelievable what you can do. Well, it's I can't believe that somehow you've been able to fit a book in with everything else you've got going. And we're <laughs> going to get to all that, Dallas. We want to talk about DDP and how uh, yoga uh, came about. But I want to uh, go through the journey that got you there. And there's what is amazing to me is, like I said, there's like these three phases, at least from what I can, you know, decipher of your life, these these different phases. And you have this, you know, the early life, you talked about the roots and all this and how it made you adaptable. And there's like this period in your 20s that I don't know, because you don't seem like you stopped for anything. You're always going on to the next thing. I don't know if it took a while till you got to that point, but it's like there's this this period. It seems in your 20s before you hit 30 and then you got into the world of wrestling. What was going on then? Man, I had so much fun. I, 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 first of all, I tried to wrestle when I was 22. I had okay. matches. I was horrible. Um, and um, I hurt my knee. And it took me out. Now, I've already been working in the bar business. And right. by that time, I had already been a, a bouncer 
a assistant bar manager. Uh, I've been a bartender. So I pretty much had done, you know, a lot of the things when it came to, um, you know, working in the bar. And I loved the bar business. I loved interacting with the people. And then I get my opportunity to run my first, what I would call a little rock and roll bar. You know, mm -hmm. we had bands on the weekends. We had one long bar. We could fit about 100 people in there slammed. And there was bars on both sides of us. So it was like having a little area that people would go into in South Orange. And they'd go from one bar to the other. And we, I had a hell of a time. And then I went to Texas. And I, I'm, I'm one of the guys who liked country music back in my teens, which was 40 years ago. You know, people today love country. I've been loving it for over 40 years. So much so I went to Texas and wanted to be an urban cowboy like John Travolta and worked in the, in the honky tonks, uh -huh. big honky tonks. And I met a guy named Bud Reynolds. He took me under his wing. He, I, I helped them over a year period open three big places because they were all owned by the same corporation. And he brought me in. So I got to see the way that was done. And then I come back for a wedding to New Jersey and right down the street, one block away from the stone pony, there's yep. a club that's opening up, but it's only like literally been stripped. It's going to be like 12,000 square feet. The guy had just got all the plans almost done. Not all the bars laid out. And I went in there just to look at it. Next thing you know, I'm running the place and building it. I'm so did 20... you think at this time, though, Dallas, did you think at this time, like, this is going to be, it's going to be my career. I'm going to be in uh, clubs. I'm going to own them, run them. Absolutely. I mean, was that the focus? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'll tell you, I met Bammer when he was like 16 or 17. And, and we had met in a place called the Quack Quack, which was a little bar that was in between the Pony and what would be Club Xanadu. Yeah. Now, Stone and, Pony, folks, if you know, that's where Bruce Springsteen uh, really got his start. Okay, so I just yeah, want to, this is, this is where it's happening in Jersey. Right. This is the okay. spot for music. Yes. On right. the Jersey Shore. Okay. And, okay. and Bam and I just hit it off. I mean, he's like 16 or 17. He's drinking because he's six foot three. He's 340 <laughs> pounds. Stripes on the head yet? Is. That you know, he's he's shaving his head then, but he doesn't have tats yeah. yet. <laughs> okay. And then he'd go through high school, and we talk about wrestling. Uh -huh. Like we would talk about it. And I, yeah, I tried it a couple of years back. Didn't really work out for me. You know, uh, I'm here in the club business. That's where I wanted to end up anyway. And then, as time would go on, and I've got this club, and it's rocking, man. I I end up. Bud Reynolds taught me so much and he would let me call him. I always tell people, don't be afraid to ask someone to be your mentor because you'll be surprised how many people, if you're going to put the work in, like real work, they'll help you. And Bud helped me like that. And we had this, we had the club rocking, man. And then I went from there. I had a fall out with the owner. Then I went, I, I did, I, you know, I'm starting to get up on stage now and doing contests, whether it's hot legs contests or, you know, bikini contests or whatever. So if I don't do all of this, when I finally become a manager, which is going to be about another five years from then, yeah, I never have 
the mic skills to get out there and do that because I'm doing all these contests and stuff and I'm promotionally running the clubs. And then I went to Fort Myers, Florida, and that's where I really, you know, I really started to build what I thought was going to be an empire of nightclubs. And I had a small piece of the first one, but we were, we had laid this stuff out and To tell you the truth, in the 80s, when wrestling went through the roof in the mid-80s, I was so pissed off because if I would have paid my dues in my mind, I'd have been there with Piper and Hogan and, you know, Mr. Wonderful, like the whole crew. Jake, I'd have been there. But I didn't pay my dues, so I was so pissed. I stopped watching in the mid-80s. And then one day I'm flicking the channels and I see Jesse Ventura on the tube. Right. And I'm like, who is that? <laughs> like, he pulled me in. And this is a God's honest truth, Sean. Yeah. As I'm watching, he's with Gorilla, I think. Uh-huh. And I remember the first match that walks through the curtain, the guy's got a bag over his shoulder. Wow. And he's walking to the ring. I watch Jake work. I listen to his promo, and I'm pulled right back in. Yeah. Never wow. heard something like that before. You're, you're used to these guys yelling, and then you got the the slow oh. burn of Jake Whoa. Roberts. Yeah, that guy's for real. <laughs> like, forget everything else. That guy, like, he's a badass. Yeah. You know, and so this is really crazy. I go to. I leave uh, Jersey. I go down to Fort Myers. I, I actually go to Fort Lauderdale first. I end up in Fort Myers. I've got this club. It's rocking. We got like a, I want to say it's a, either Wednesday night. I don't think it might have been a weekend night. I can't remember that. But I'm in my office. And we had cameras at the front door and the back door. And you could see people come in. And I see this guy walk in who looks like Jake Roberts. So much so, the club's packed. So I'm not even going to try to walk through the club. I walk around the outside, walk up to the girl at the door and go, Judy, did the guy walk in here look like Jake Roberts? She goes, Paige, he just walked right by me. <laughs> yeah. goes, I walk, no one said anything to him because I think it's Jake Roberts. So I almost run in there. And when I see him at the bar, I slow down. We got six bars in this place. Yeah. You got to so, be cool. I, right, right, right. So <laughs> I, I, I belly up to the bar, and he's right there. And I, I'm like, hey, man, I go, are you Jake Snake Roberts? Who wants to know? <laughs> I said, the guy who runs this place, he goes, yes, I am. Oh, I God. said, what are we drinking? And, and so it how, began. And so it began, man. <laughs> and... The funny part was, you know, once Jake realized that he's got some mark, that's uh-huh. not what he's not paying for his drinks. Right, he's drinking for free. And, and, well, you know, the next time DiBiase's in there, and <laughs> you know, Janetti came by with you know Michaels and the Bushwhackers, and you know now people are seeing people that's coming to my business. club. It was great. But, dude, I would do commercials. And I got, now I'm not just doing this stuff on stage. I'm also doing my own commercials for the club. And I might say, you know, I might get to, like, Thursday, Thursday. I have, like, a synthesizer voice and all this. And uh, and then I go, ooh, yeah, hot links tonight. 
dig it, don't miss it. And people thought, holy God, you got you got Savage, you got Randy Savage doing your commercials. I could do Jesse Ventura to the bone back then. You know, Give me some. I can't do it now because I have to hear them. Uh, it's been too long. But back McMahon. then, oh God, it was, I could do that. Midwestern thing, yeah. Dallas. Yeah, I can't do it right now, yeah. but I could. I could kill it back then. Yeah. So people just assumed because they saw these guys in the club. I mean, I got a picture of me and Jesse. Still, it's in my book when Jesse came by the club to see me, and uh, it's mainly because I met him and told him what a fan I was of his, and he was coming to Fort Myers like that next weekend. So I took his family out to dinner. And he, you know, he's nice enough to come to the club. I mean, we got along amazing because he was like one of my heroes. You know, it literally pulled me back into the business, him and Jake. So, uh, so is this Norma Jeans? I, was this Norma Jeans? Yes, this is Norma Jeans. Okay, and, and you got all the all the guy all the boys are coming to your place. That's good for business too. But it's now great. they're they're great. drawing you in. Yes, you know the people are seeing that. We know, so like, we had the hottest spot from Sarasota to Cuba. I mean, it was. <laughs> <laughs> I used to call I used to call the, uh, the, uh, the hot one where every second sizzles and uh, you know, it was promos too so you got that down <laughs> right and I'm doing it for the club again if I didn't have all of that there is no way what I'm just about to do to start to manage and be in the AWA and all that with bad company there's no way it happens so this is the craziest part of it though so I haven't seen the boys haven't been around because they weren't booking down in Fort Myers for a while there. And one night I'm watching girls just want to have fun on the video as I'm collecting the drawers for, you know, from the, from the, from the cash registers. Uh-huh. And you remember Captain Lou was in. Oh yeah. That. Rock yeah, and wrestling. And, right. And exactly. So I'm yeah. watching that. This is like 1987, the end of 87. And I'm talking to myself, and I'm just going, man, rock and wrestling. Mm-hmm. I should have been a part of that. <laughs> and I walked away. Now, my head bartender, Smokey, he comes walking in the bar. And he's, no one knew the nickname Dallas that my dad had for me. Nobody knew about that. And... So he called me Page J because my dad was Page One and he was working for me at the time. (laughs) And he comes in, he goes, Page J. He goes, what did you mean, rock and wrestling? You should have been a part of that. I said, well, I actually tried it when I was a kid. He goes, get out of here. He goes, (laughs) what was your name? I said, Handsome Dallas Page. (laughs) And and Smokey goes, whoo, you can forget about using that gimmick anymore. And everybody (laughs) laughed. (laughs) and you know so now we're drinking right you know the drawers are counted it's after hours and sometimes we might drink to four or five in the morning you know and uh i just can't get it out of my head everybody's got their own conversation going right Uh but i'm sitting at my desk and i'm i've got this pad a blotter that's got you know like the days of the month on it you know what i would doodle on you know uh-huh. And I'm just writing it over and over and over again. And I write, Diamond Dallas Page. And I look up and I go, you know what? I'm too old to be a wrestler today. At that time, I was 31 and a half. I said, I'm too old to be a wrestler. I said, but 
what if I was a wrestling manager and my name was Diamond Dallas Page? Everybody's like, woo, woo, shot, shot, drink, drink. You know, because the shots are going now. And then again, I'm writing it down. And then I look up and I go, a little while later, I go, you know, Jimmy Hart, he's got the Hart Foundation. What if I had the diamond exchange? Woo! Shot, shot, yeah. drink, drink. Well. So, you know, so now, now we're getting, we got a good buzz going. And I just go, you know, there, there's too there's many women in there's no there's women in wrestling, you know, there's women, but the only one that's really good looking is Elizabeth, and she's like girl next door hot. I said, what right. if I had a whole group of the girls and I called them diamond dolls and they were stripper hot? Everybody's like, whoa, that'll be a stretch. Whoa, drink, drink, shot, shot, shot. shot, shot. This is all happening in one night, all this coming. <laughs> all in one night. And remember, I'm yeah. writing it down on this pad, just scribbling it. Yeah. And then at some point, we're getting ready to go. And I go, Diamond Dallas Page. His wrestlers are from the Diamond Exchange, and he has the Diamond Dolls. I go, that is B-A-double-D bad. And I just stop myself. I go, did I steal that from somebody, or did I just make that up? Yeah. I write that down. And I wrote that down and left. Now, a week goes by, Sean. Yeah. And remember, I do, I do all my own commercials. I do these synthesizer voices. You don't know if there's wrestling. I'm doing these funny voices, you know, plus wrestling voices. And so this thing calls the Party News Network. They're a little cable, you know, thing. They, it's on this little cable network. It's just in the Southwest Florida region. And they have the Party News Network. And they want to interview the guy behind the voice. <laughs> so they film me in my 62 pink Cadillac. They fill, and this is up. All of this I'm saying right now is up on my Diamond Dallas, my DDP Yoga Now app under Motivational Mondays. These are the first stories I tell on Motivational Monday. And I give you the footage to watch it. So you can see I'm not just talking smack. (laughs) I back everything up. So they film me at the radio studio, bro. I'm wearing a WrestleMania three t-shirt. <laughs> I've got the long flowing blonde hair. You know, I'm about six, four, I'm down about, about two twenty, and, uh, and I'm cutting the promo. And then at some point they get me in Norma jeans uh-huh. and they, they're interviewing me and they say, so where does the voice come from? And I'm sitting at my desk now. And I look down at that written copy. That's, been scribbled on that blotter and right next to it if these white sunglasses aren't sitting there i don't know if i do it but Uh. because they are i grab those sunglasses i throw them on and i go boy the voice comes from diamond dallas page daddy i was born to be a professional wrestling manager it's big (laughs) it's bad norma jean's voice and I took the glasses off and I finished the promo or the interview. Yeah. A week, well, a week later it plays. I get a call from a guy who, um, his name is Smitty. He has his own sports talk show. It's mainly about boxing, but he's having wrestling this week. And Captain Lou is going to be on his show. 
And he calls me up and he asks me to be on the show with him. And I'm like, Smitty, I made all that up. I don't, <laughs> I don't really do it. And he's like, who cares? Yeah. It's radio. <laughs> and I went, can I really talk to Captain Lou? He's like, yeah. I go, I'm in. And, and then I did another one with him about a month later with Sergeant Slaughter. And you know, Bob is the class of the field. Yeah. I mean, he is, he made it sound like he'd known me for years. Yeah, exactly. These guys don't work. <laughs> he was over. Oh God. It was like, it was like, oh my God. So we end that show and Smitty says to me, you know, Paige, you need to do something with this Diamond Dallas Page thing. You're a natural. I go, do what? Bro, it's just in my head. He goes, it's more than in your head. He goes, I'm telling you, you've got something there. And I go, well, what am I going to do with it? He goes, I got a friend of mine who was a boxing promoter. His name is Rob Russett. He just started promoting with the AWA. I got his address. Make up a videotape and send it to him. <laughs> So again, this is week two of my, you know, uh, motivational Mondays. There's like a hundred of them up there or more at this point, maybe 250, but there's a lot of them. Um, and I make up this videotape, Sean, with me and three guys who want to be wrestlers. They're friends of mine. They want to be wrestlers. One's Big Bad John. One's um, rock hard Rick, he's chiseled, uh, and one's a midget I call Ted E. Bear, and <laughs> put a collar on him. You can't recall we, these guys, but yeah. Uh, yeah right, exactly. <laughs> so I send this promo to the AWA, and I swear to God, two weeks later, I get a call. And Rob Russin tells me that he's shown my tape around. He, you know, he's gotten a really great response. They want to bring me and the boys in for a tryout. Mm. We only have one question. Like, no one's ever heard of you guys before. <laughs> Where are you working? Yeah. Yeah. And at that point, I'm like, well, um, just in from Sri Lanka, <laughs> long tour. <laughs> I'm like, well, uh, Rob, uh, none of those guys could actually wrestle yet. Uh, and he goes, what? I go, well, you know, they want to learn how to be wrestlers, but it's like a secret society. But they don't have, they they can't. But I could manage till they're ready. And it was like, don't call us. Till they're ready. <laughs> All right. But, but Dallas, everything is going so well at this point. You are on your way to becoming, to building an empire of clubs. You would have, you know, you would have been successful. And yet, you couldn't stay away. You had yeah. to do it, right? Yeah. You know, I uh, I really thought, like, I was going to have, like, 20 clubs. I, that was, like, uh. my goal. Uh. And I get that call. In the beginning, I don't make any money. You know, for the first couple of years. So I'm still doing the club. But I get they, – they call me two weeks later. And Paulie Dangerously, Paul Heyman, leaves the AWA for the NWA – left a huge void and I got the opportunity and I went out there and I nailed it, you know, as far as bringing the guys on, but you remember Pat Tanaka, 
Mm-hmm. Now, Pat was like 5'8". And, yeah. <laughs> and wrestled in his bare feet as the Orient Express. Yeah, right. Yeah. And Paul Bowman was 5'10". So I was like Andre the Giant as a manager. <laughs> <laughs> but Put him on I, boxes, uh, maybe, for promo. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, the real education came was when Mike Graham called me and asked me to do Florida Championship Wrestling. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Dusty was coming in. And man... The American dream. I always say without Dusty Rhodes, there is no Diamond Dallas Page. Like, I got the spot in the AWA, but the things that really made a difference in my life, my career, uh, my knowledge of the business came from the dream taking me under his wing. And, uh, and just, it was amazing. It was, you know, he was, he was like, he was like a big brother and a dad to me at the same time. Yeah, no, so this is around what, 91? And, uh... 80, 80, 80. This is around 88, 89. Right. Then, then he left Florida Championship. For the WCW. Wrestling. Yeah, 91. Yeah, well, well, in 89, he left, he left uh, Florida Championship Wrestling and went back to WWE and did the polka dotted deal. Right. And then he came back in 90 ish. 91, 90, I think. Yeah, so whatever, whatever it was, that's where I yeah. came in. And he brought you, I, yeah. Yeah, I, I, you know, you know how Dream, you know, was probably one of the smartest guys in the business ever. Yeah. And, you know, not just for his gimmick, but everybody else's. Right. Right. He created so many characters. Um, but I had always stayed in touch with him. And that's why I thanked his wife, Michelle, when I got the Hall of Fame ring. Because I know without Michelle really liking me there's no way dusty would have taken the time to call me back so at this but, point though i mean you're making you're establishing a pretty good network of guys along the way who are coming in and out of your life but somehow stuff was falling into place right and, you know and, yeah absolutely so but i before we move on to that though I, I there's one moment i i just really wanted to touch on with you know with the uh WrestleMania six at the Sky Dome mm. when they mm. got the in the your pink Cadillac and you bring yeah. Honky Tonk Man and Greg uh, the Hammer Valentine out to the ring, it had to be a. Uh, did you look around and say, you know what, I'm gonna I'm gonna have someone driving me to the ring at uh, you know it was it one of those moments where you said I, this is gonna be me at some point or what? Not a wrestler, you know. I, really, I, I, you weren't I, even thinking at that point. Not yet. A manager. No. I, I, a manager for sure. Because again, I knew how hard to do, you know, like a lot of people, oh yeah, I want to be a wrestler because you think yeah. you can do it. Like wrestling, and as you know, learning the moves seems like that's the hardest thing you're going to do. Like that's the easy part. Yeah. Like figuring out how to get the people to care. That's the really hard part. Yeah. That's the hard part about life. And, you know, when nobody believes in you, like, wow. But go back to where the pink Cadillac comes from. Luke, the bushwhacker, who is, I love him, love him to death, was so happy when he went in the Hall of Fame yeah. uh, two years ago. Because, uh, I mean, people don't really know, like you know, but when they were the sheep herders, they yeah. were, they were, <laughs> they were ECW way before ECW. Right. Like they were they were their own animals, and uh, Luke uh, he loved the club. 
He loved. He actually got me to do one of his clubs in his buddy who had one in New Zealand, who mm-hmm. flew me in. I spent two weeks there and did a whole redo of what he needed to do. Then they brought me back to redo it for him. Like wow. Luke made that happen. Yeah. And Luke called up when he saw the pink Cadillac. He called Pat Patterson up. Uh-huh. He said, Pat, Pat, I got, I've, I've got the car. I've got the car for Honky, Honky and, uh, and Valentine. Uh, you know, it's beautiful. Uh, here, talk to the man. And now I'm talking to Pat Patterson. Uh-huh. And I'm thinking, I'm just getting this car up there. And you know, like, he, Pat's like, what's it going to cost us? I said, you ship it up. I said, and fly me up and put me up. It costs you nothing. Wow. You know, I just yeah. want to drive the car. And <laughs> never knowing that that's going to be that piece of trivia, you know, that yeah. a lot of people know about today. And, you know, then 27 years later to be walking out, you know, WrestleMania 33, and I'm getting the world, you know, getting the Hall of Fame ring. I mean, like, what? It's yeah, just, that, is, that is some journey. And, and and with that, let's let's get back to it with the uh, because you really started really started your career as far as uh, you know honing your craft as a manager, and I'm sure the psychology of of uh, what you learned along the way with WCW after Dusty brought you in. Yeah, absolutely. Learning the whole time from every from Medusa Michelli, you know, back in yeah. the AWA when I managed her because. You know, we catch a good buzz, drink and have three cocktails. Like she loved the business and she really understood it at an early age. And Pat Tanaka was super like they were we just you know, we talked the business. Kurt Henning, you know, we were we were sitting at the bar one time. This is my first day I'd ever been in the business. And uh and he, he just really liked me. And yeah, he I was like, her. Man, oh God, he was such a special guy. Yeah. And uh and he, he saw the bar guy in me, you know, he's like, you're going to do okay in this business. Cause you get, you're going to make more relationships out on the road, in the bar with the boys than you ever will out in the ring or in that locker room. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's awesome. And he was part of the diamond exchange at one point, right? Yes. Yes, he was. It was really huh. cool. His yeah. dad, his dad liked that combination. When he went to New York, he tried to bring me with him. But they said, you know, again, when actually it was Classy Freddie Blassie. And who I met through Lee Marshall, who Classy Freddie Blassie was my favorite. You know, yeah. of everybody. You and I could share many stories about Classy Freddie Blassie. Oh, Maybe we'll do a podcast together on him sometime because he was, yeah, him. he was awesome. I love the man. And, and, and he, you know, he, he took my tape and he brought it to Pat. And Pat was watching it. And he goes, he's got a great look. He's got great chops. But he, and this is where I got the line. But he's like Andre the Giant as a manager out there. Yeah. And I was dead. Like it was never going to happen then. Huh. You know, as soon as Pat got that in his head, and he's right. You know, so, you know, Can't yeah, get short. The, yeah, right. So <laughs> it, it, it was what it was. And I got the only reason I got the break to get to the other show was because of Dusty. And Dusty loved me, but they only let me manage for about five months. I managed the birds, which yeah. I had a you know a ton of fun with. And Garbage, I yeah. you know, and, and I created Scott Hall's look, the one that would become Razor Ramon. Oh. You know, like Scott had said he had tried to call the office. He called the office every single week 
for a year. And they and Pat never called him back. But the night that we aired the Diamond Stud, he got a call that night. Huh. And a- yeah, it was like, and, and Scotty knows, you know, like, I'm the one who changed the color of his hair, got rid of that mustache and put that brush cut, you know, five o'clock shadow that he would get around two o'clock. <laughs> and he was so stupid handsome. Yeah, it was just a natural, you know. So, did you? Uh, you said you were. You felt you were limited. I think you did some commentary. Uh, yeah. Along, but at what? When do you start thinking about getting into the ring? And 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 I mean, come on. At this point, what, what are you? Thirty-four, 30, somewhere. 30, Thirty-five and a half. Five. Yeah. <laughs> so you start thinking this, where people say, "Are you out of your mind now?" Yeah. Well, well the thing is, they wouldn't. Magnum TA, who was probably would have been staying in our company if he didn't get in that car accident, because he was a a Greek god that women went insane for. And um, he was Dusty's right hand man. And Dusty didn't want to tell me that he didn't want me to manage anymore because. Because I'd go between the hair and the bling and the and the dolls and the wrap and the clothes, I was taking too much attention away from the boys. <laughs> and Scott Hall used to warn warn me about it all the time. And I uh, go, Dally, you're too much out there. You gotta <laughs> dial it down. Uh, and um, next thing you know, I got seven months left on my contract. They won't let me manage. And I look at Magnum and I said, Magnum, so you're telling me. I'm too over the top for professional wrestling, <laughs> you know, and you yeah, you are if, unless you're wrestling, you know? Uh-huh. So I just thought, yeah, I had seven months left on that thing. Like Dusty wasn't firing me. Dusty was still going to let me do color, but uh-huh. I was sports string color commentator with Eric Bischoff. Uh-huh. And they liked he having you around. Me. Yeah, he did, but he was going to be ever since we were in Florida together. He'd bring me into booking meetings. He would ask my opinions on stuff. He, uh, you know, he really valued my opinion, and he put me producing interviews. So I had a job, but I, it's not the job I wanted. So I thought, you know what? I'm 35 and a half years old. I didn't get in this business to be a manager or a color commentator. I got in this business to be a wrestler, <laughs> and. That's what I'm going for. I had seven months left on my contract. What could they do? Yeah. You know, let me go after seven months. At least I got to, I know Dusty's going to give me the opportunity and at least to get in the ring. And he never believed in me as a wrestler, but he loved me as a character. And I did, I, I wrestled, I, I wrestled, I, I got, I, they signed me to a contract and I wrestled uh, another nine months and then I tore my rotator cuff. And a lot of people don't know that I tore my rotator cuff, and then I was gone. Yeah. And they, they let me go. <clears throat> and that's where Jake Roberts had just come into the company, and he was there with us for a couple of months, and I was like Jake's boy. Like, I drove him. I did whatever he needed because I wanted to learn from the greatest. Yeah, so you're just drinking you know? it in, hanging out with him. Just the sponge. Me and yeah. Kevin Nash yeah. both. For yeah. like three months. And then I tore my rotator cuff. And Jake had a falling out with Bill Watts. 
So he wasn't there. Yeah. I'm I'm home, and they just let me go. This and, is 92, right? About then? Yep. Yeah. And Jake calls me to check on me with my shoulder. And we just start talking, and I realize him and his old lady are split up again. Mm. And I'm like, I asked my wife, I said, can Jake move in with us? <laughs> you know, he's just going to stay for a week or two just till he finds a place. And, uh, he's, and I told her, I said, baby, I said, I'm never going to be able to learn more from him than now. Mm-hmm. And, and I told Jake, you know, when he moved in, I'm like, I can't wait to, to work with you. When I get this, you know, this thing off my shoulder, I can't wait to work with you. He goes, listen to me. You already know how to do all the moves. You know, you got like a thousand of them. He said, what you need to learn is when to do them, why you're doing them, and how to get the people to care. He uh-huh. said, you're going to learn more sitting on the couch with me watching your matches than you'll ever learn in the ring with me. <laughs> and I was like, I'm in. Uh-huh. And it, it was 11 months that we were, he'd book, get me booked on independent shows with him. You know, I'd work with him. Um, I, I'd be at the bottom of the card, wherever, wherever I needed to be. I was there. And um, and then at some point, you know, it was time to go back to WCW. Eric Bischoff, had, he hasn't been totally taken over yet, but he was executive producer, and he could get me a job back. He wasn't going to get me any kind of push or any of that because he wasn't into the whole um, nepotism thing because you know that runs rampant in our business. Yeah. But, um, you know, bottom line is uh, – he got me a job, and I came back in there. I was like 280 then. I mean, I just beefed up, and I was too fat for me. But, you know, I wanted to change my look. I changed my tattoos. I, I made these huge tattoos on my arms, which no one had. Like, when I did the big pieces on my arms, nobody had that. Uh-huh. And, um, and you know, I came back, and... Dusty started. Oh, Dusty saw me at the power plant the day before our meeting. And he yeah, but during this or... Dallas, during this time, you, you talk about all the time you spent at the power plant. I mean, it, it, you made it, to, and I think that people saw when you came back that uh, you realized you said, "I'm going to work for this, and I'm going to keep working." Yes, absolutely. What was the difference, though, was you mentioned, like, Jake was more, was it, uh, obviously, you kept working on your moves. That was probably different being in the ring. But was the biggest difference, like you said, learning from Jake or learning that psychology and understanding how to work a crowd? Oh, absolutely, man. Because, you know, I would watch matches, like, with him and one of the other greatest, Cowboy Bob Orton. And I used to have this one match on film and I loaned it to somebody and then they lost it. But it was 48 minutes. And I'll <laughs> bet you they didn't take four bumps. <laughs> and yeah, the crowd <laughs> was going crazy. Yeah. Whole time. You know, because they knew. And that, that even though that art form is almost dead at this point, <laughs> if you put those two guys out there on that day, on that night, they're going to get the same reaction because they really knew. And it's a different generation of people. Click, click, fast, fast, turn the thing. No, don't have time for anything. Give me a 30 second pitch. You know, it's like stories, 
Well, no and give me, what. yeah, give me a two-story fall off a cage. You know, it's right. onto cement. You know? Right. Yeah. And then people go, oh, this is awesome. No, like that guy just really hurt himself. Yeah. Even though he may not show it right now, it's going to really affect him later. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, bo- bottom line is, is that, you know, I, I learned so much from Jake and it wasn't going to stop there. I would, like Steve Austin, he would bust my chops all the time, but everybody would, because I filmed every match I ever had, Mm. right on up to 99, because Mm. I'd want to watch it back and see what looked good and what didn't, what the people bought and what they didn't, because I knew out there, but I wanted to now teach yourself, don't do that again. Oh, that was awesome. Oh, you thought that you thought that was horrible? That got over. Now, will it get over again over here? Will it get over again over there? You know, and learning how to read the crowd and getting the people how to care. And uh, you know, that was, you know, that takes time. Yeah. It just doesn't happen. Yeah. Didn't happen well, you to see, Jake Roberts, didn't happen to Dusty Rhodes, you know? Yeah, and, didn't happen to Ric Flair. Yeah, oh, it took time. Yeah, and and you look though, and I went through a bunch of matches this week just to see your progression, uh, and you see the difference from '95, because I I felt like that was when when the rise really happened. It started, and it started, yeah. uh, you see that you know when you won the WCW Television Championship, and then you see these, and and then it just keeps building and building and building, and you and I I think the measure of it is just the kind of the caliber of. Of uh, of the I shouldn't say superstars I'm used to saying that but you know these stars of in the right. uh, world of professional wrestling you know Savage Guerrero you know Kurt is yeah. now where he is uh, you know these uh, it just showed like that progression did you at what point did you really feel it like I am I'm going to the top I am going to be right up there with them well you know when I just go back to when I decided to be a wrestler yeah. I only want to wrestle for three or four years. Because I want the credibility, because at the time, I honestly believe at that point, I could be the next Jesse Ventura. Like, Mm. that's the goal, because I don't see myself wrestling into my 40s. Yeah, you started a little late there, Dallas. Right, so I think, you know, (laughs) I get a couple of years out of this, I get in the ring with Flair, I get in the ring with Sting, Steamboat, you know, these greats, and I can talk about them, and when I was in the ring... And I could lie because I was a heel, yeah. you know, I could, yeah. I could lie about how great I was, you yeah. know, because it wouldn't matter because no one really remembers except for the people who really get it. And um, so bottom line is at some point in 95, when Pro Wrestling Illustrated, if you look at the, um, what, what, what award is it? The wrestler, um, the... God, what, that's not rookie of the year. It's um, it's um, most improved wrestler of the most year. Most improved, okay. If you look at who's who on that list, eighty percent of those guys become top guys. Mm-hmm. And Scott Hall had gotten it a couple of years earlier. Nash had gotten it. Like these are two of my boys. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And I know, like, this is my year, and. But if you still look at that guy at 95, going into 96, uh-huh. I know nobody really believes it yet that mm-hmm. that's going to happen. But I start to see it. 
and my work starts to get better and yeah. better. I'm working with Eddie and we're in Buffalo and a guy named Dennis DiPaolo, who was Ilio DiPaolo's son, who was a very famous wrestler from the Northeast area. Um, they were doing a benefit because here this monster of a man, just super charity, like the, like the, he's the, um, the, um, the George uh, got from It's a Wonderful Life, uh, George Bailey yeah. of this part of Bedford Falls, which is Buffalo. Right. And he got hit by a car and and died. This this guy probably lived to 100. Uh-huh. And uh, it was this big benefit that they were doing for his charity. And it the odd held 16,900 people. And we were getting hot. They bought the show and they sold it out. Wow. So this is my first monster sold out crowd. And I'm like right still at the beginning of the second match, you know, and me and Eddie go out there and we are tearing it down. And at some point people start chanting DDP (laughs) and I grabbed that mic and I said, the last thing I need is you blah, blah, blah is cheering for me. And you know what they did? They shut up. That's not good either. You know? And we have a hell of a match. We finish. I come back and Scott Hall pulls me aside. He goes, what the hell are you doing out there? (laughs) I go, what are you talking about? We had a hell of a match. He goes, the match was great. He goes, but why would you say that to the people? I said, because I'm a heel. He goes, no, you're not. He goes, you're a superstar. You're a top. You're on your way. You're right there. They want to get with you. Whether they're cheering you or booing you. And I went, oh, and I started to look at it differently, just a little bit. And that was the beginning, because Eddie was getting me over, because now the guys in the back are going, man, DDP is out there killing it. But I'm working with a guy who can do anything, too. But being able to be able to do stuff that I'd never done before. And that gave me a lot of credibility. And then Mach was the one who reached out and said, I want to work with him. And like, That's you know, great. Yeah. it was unbelievable. So, you know, we do that angle. Oh, this is what happened behind the scenes is this is a now 95 and they're still not doing anything with me yet. And macho sprayed NWO over the nipples and the crack of her ass. So now it says NWO and they expose that she's my wife oh. and spray painted her and everything and god man when is this when was this was this in you said this is in 97 okay so this is like 96 (laughs) like i the thing is they wouldn't give me anybody really to beat that meant anything because Mm -hmm. the bookers still don't really believe in me yet and so i won the battle bull ring which I didn't, you know, the only two guys who won Battle Bowl before me, Dusty and mm. Sting. Yeah. When those two guys won it, every top guy in the company was the last eight guys. It was a tag team, tag team, tag team elimination that ended with eight guys. Eight guys go to the main event. They have their match. Whoever wins that gets a shot at the world title. 
So Randy well, doing this, getting involved in this is what you, you kind of see it as a, a springboard as far as being able oh, to get up with top talent here at this point. Well, Randy, Randy, let me, let me back up. So let me go okay. back digress. So <laughs> six months before Randy, All right. maybe seven months before Randy, I'm doing the battle ball. Yeah. And they don't give me anybody to beat. And I'm talking about the top guy that's next to me. And I'm not a top guy. I'm a mid-card guy. The next guy next to me is Barbarian. Um, Bobby Eaton at the end of his career. Uh, Rocco Rock and Johnny Grunge. Ice Train. I don't even remember who the other guys were. Yeah. I mean, was not a main event. But when Sting won it and Dusty won it, they were all top people. Mm-hmm. So I figured these guys aren't going to get me over. They're not going to help me. And what I started to do, because I knew I was winning the Battle Bowl, I started to do, I start talking about the diamond cutter. You know, when it's all said and done, there can only be one. And I start branding the hand sign and the diamond cutter like it's the second coming. (laughs) And they can't beat me over that period because they just put me over the Battle Bowl. So it leads to with me having a bunch of enhancement matches. And what I did was I started going out there and making whoever was enhancing my match, made them look like they were going to beat me. And then bang, out of nowhere, took the diamond cutter. And there's a kid who did a video called Diamond Cutters on Everyone. (laughs) And it starts with almost the beginning when I was doing it. And you see the people start to react, start to react, a little bit more, a little bit more. By about the 10th diamond cutter, people are jumping out of their seats. Mm. By the 15th diamond cutter, the, when I go to hit the move, people are jumping out of their seats to throw up the diamond cutter sign. And it's if you go back and look at all of them, they're yeah. all enhancement, guys. <laughs> so over that period, I'm getting to work with Eddie in between that, which Eddie, I'm supposed to put him over, but Eddie tears the cartilages in his rib cage. And when I go to do something to him, thinking he's going to reverse it, he goes, diamond cutter. Yeah. And I sort of like pause. And I, I go, no, Eddie. He goes, diamond cutter, diamond cutter. I'm like, mm. okay. <laughs> That's what you call and, branding. Yeah. <laughs> right? So, uh, so I hit him with that in October. And then my career is really starting to go. Yeah. And, but I know that they're still not pushing me. Like, they didn't book me over Eddie. Eddie did because he was hurt. And he couldn't do the frog splash. Yeah. So, so um, I come up with the idea about the NWO. I come up with the idea that you guys ask me, Kevin and Scott, and I go, oh, now you come to me? Uh-huh. Number five? I go, what happened to two or three or four? I mean, you guys are supposed to be like my boys. And you just blow me off? I don't need you. And I blow you off. Now, normally you would just kill those guys, the yeah. NWO. But they were my boys. So they go, oh, Dally. Like they would in real life. Oh, God. Yeah. They'll get over it. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so we do it again. And I blow you off again. Then the third time, you come out and you put the shirt on. Or you're a dead man walking. Yeah. So what happened was we do those first two. 
and then I'm about to drop these guys, and they pulled off the TV. Oh. And then they what? pull it off the TV. What? And then they pull it off the TV. <laughs> and there's right. always some reason. Uh-huh. There's always some reason why they pull it off the TV. And I'm at a point now, Sean, where I'm ready to quit. Uh-huh. It's, I'm going to tell Kevin Sullivan when I see him. Like, I'm going to ask for my release. I want to go, I'm going to try to, you know, I know Steve Austin called me up. And he said, D, whenever you're ready, yeah. the red carpet all the way here for you. Uh-huh. You know, they're fucking, they, they, they watch you. And, you know, they just, hold, you know, I'm thinking I'll at least get a tryout, you yeah. know. And uh, bottom line is it comes down to New Orleans and it's almost like God put this together. Yeah. It's our first dome show. There's 33,000 people in New Orleans for a nitro. And I get, you know, they, they, they give us the countdown. It's my music's playing and, you know, uh, they cut our time and I was getting hot about it. Mm. And Nash looks at me and he goes, Dally, have fun out there. He goes, it's your night. He Mm. goes, what are they going to do? Cut us short. Yeah. It's live. Yeah. <laughs> Once you're out there. Out, yeah. Yeah. I went out there and I hit the kid with a diamond cutter. Yep. Those guys came out and the place, you know, went crazy because they loved the NWO but hated them in a town like New Orleans. And when I put that NWO shirt on, it was like they sucked the air out yeah. of the building. Yeah. And then when bringing a hug, Kev, and he turned around yeah. and Boom. Scotty freaking slapped me five and shook my hand. And when he pulled away, I pulled him in a diamond cutter. <laughs> and that was the real beginning. Yeah. Like, oh, you blew the happened. roof off that place. I looked at that again. That's that was just unbelievable. It was it was it was it was unbelievable, bro. And that night we had a great night. And uh, um, <clears throat> and then. They uh, and it, but to tell you what, the, the booking committee, the reason why they kept pulling off because they didn't believe me. Like no one, they didn't believe in Diamond Dallas Page, and nobody had dropped the NWO. If you were to go back and look, they killed everyone, yeah. and no one touched them. Like I was the first to get to them. So between that and Sting at that time, he went up into the rafters. So. I went from being a heel that night to a baby face. Yeah. Like the people turned me and you know, yeah. well, that's how it works. You, that's yeah. how it works. Yeah. That's how it's supposed to work. Yeah. <laughs> can't force it. <laughs> you can't tell them to. Yeah, right. They get mad. <laughs> Doesn't work. <laughs> so that, that, that was, so that was really, I mean, after that road, you travel, it must've been uh, amazing to think, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm here. And then you go and you win the the world heavyweight championship uh, in ni- you know that year in April nineteen ninety nine at the the yeah. Springs same Stampede. Yeah. Same Yeah. Let me yeah. tell you a little behind the scenes story. You'll love this. I'm working with Savage, right? And Randy, he he loved me because I was a lot like him, a little crazy, intense, 
I like to know what I was doing out there, but I love to have improvisation and preparation, a lot of preparation. I put a lot of thought into it, and uh -huh. so did he, of course. And yeah. it shows because he had a feud with everybody in the world. And uh, we're, uh, we're the night, the Friday night before the pay-per-view, because by that time, they didn't have you working Saturdays. They wanted everybody in town Saturday, so there was nothing screwing up for the pay-per-view on Sunday. Yeah. So we're the main event at the pay-per-view Spring Stampede 1997. This is my first main event. And the Friday night before, we're in Florence, South Carolina. We're sitting in the locker room, and Arn Anderson who had said to me in an argument with the booking committee one night <laughs> that I was never going to be a top guy because I wasn't perceived as a top guy. <laughs> and he actually told me that because he goes, I'll put you over. He goes, but who am I? I've been beat by everybody. Mm. He said, uh, and Arn was one of the greatest as far as yeah. I'm concerned. And we had our differences, but I thought Arn was one of the greatest talents ever. As far as promos, his work in the ring was flawless, amazing. Yeah. But this night, we were hot on each other. And he's like, unless you beat Hogan, Savage, Sting, Flair, or, or Luger, you will never be a top guy, mm -hmm. and none of those guys are going to put you over. Yeah. Now, on this night, Arn's the booking agent. So he comes in, you know, nobody told Randy what he was going to do. <laughs> you know, I was gonna tell, no one's going to tell Hulk what he's going to do. Right. You know, so, Flair. Right. Flair, yeah, I was like, what do you guys want to do? Yeah. So, so, uh, so Randy says, so Randy, what do you want to do tonight? And every night, pretty much the NWO is either killing me or I hit a couple of diamond cutters and escape through the crowd. Yeah. You know, that's the finish. And uh, um, Randy looks up and he goes, mm. I think I want to take the diamond cutter. <laughs> and man, I almost fell over. And Arn was like, well, um, Dallas, uh, I hope you know what this is. This means for your career. And I looked at him, I go, yeah, Arn. Yeah, I do. <laughs> so we go wow. out there and, you know, we, we have the match and, you know, I, I, Randy beat the hell out of me that whole match. And, <laughs> you know, and then, at some point, I blew a short comeback. He cut me off, went to slam me, and said, Diamond Cutter. <laughs> and hit it, and the place, man, it was like a moment of silence, and then it yeah. exploded. Uh -huh. And I lay my arm over him. One, two, three. Place, I mean, it seemed like they cheered for five minutes. It was wild. Uh -huh. And we're both laying there, and I hear him say, and it's so loud, but remember, remember Maxwell Smart? And the cone of silence. Oh yeah. How the cone of silence would blow. Sure. It was. I, I felt like that happened because in all the noise, I could hear him say, "Well, I guess we know what we're gonna do for Spring Stampede." <laughs> like Randy was testing the yeah. waters. Yeah. He wanted to see what the people would do. Would yeah. they buy it? Would they explode? Would they? Eh. Like he he wanted to make sure. Mm. And. Then we did that at Spring Stampede, man. And four it was like me on a rocket. Yeah. yeah. No, the four yeah. before that would be Randy. Me and Randy at the, at, at Spring Stampede. Then two years later. Yeah, 99. Four, right. Yeah, the four way okay. dance right. with Randy as the guest ring Re uh, ref, referee. Yeah. Like 
you couldn't have played, you couldn't have written that better for me. Oh, and that, and you know, and at that point, you had uh, reached the the height, the, the pinnacle of the WCW. There was really, and and at that point, the company was starting to uh, fail uh, because it wouldn't be much longer after that before right, it was right, over. Right. Yeah. So like a, couple, uh, a couple more years, but it didn't yeah. have that that buzz, you know. And, yeah. And did uh, you yeah, see that? Did you feel that? And uh, I know. felt it unraveling. I felt yeah. it unraveling yeah. because it got so big, so fast, and so expensive. Mm. Yeah. You know, because when you get those, when you're going back and forth, and what was great for the boys back then is you could go back and forth. Yeah. You know, but you think it, back, you know, we talk about that era. Of, you know, when I was working uh, those the mid '80s and. Uh, into into the 90s but as far as uh you know you talk about rocking the world of professional wrestling when all the you know the, the monday night wars and uh and it was during your your prime for your your career so it must have been just an incredible ride when you look back at that that period of time it's crazy bro yeah, you know yeah. it blows my mind like it blows my mind like the people who come to the comic cons like the wrestling cons one thing you know, we're doing all wrestling stuff. You know, that's one thing. But yeah. when you go to a Comic-Con, and I go to them, you know, probably about 10, 8 to 10 a year. I only go to the big ones now. Because it, the people who come out to see me that really care. I mean, and they're paying $40 for an autograph or $40 for a, um, for a signature or $60 combination. Like that blows my mind yeah. Yeah. that people would care enough to spend that kind of hard earned money to get and what the thing is, they don't really know when they come to see me, it's not going to be, I sign and goodbye. I'm going to talk. Yeah. To them. yeah. You know, because first of all, I respect their time and their, their investment, but I also want to tell them about what I'm doing today. Yeah. And a third of them come because of what I'm doing today. Yeah. And well, when you think it, about it, there are no more loyal fans in the world than no, professional not. wrestling fans. There's, there's no, that's done. Uh, so in, in, uh, when Vince buys the company and uh, a lot of these guys just want to write out those, those fat contracts, you opted not to, uh, and was it, you wanted to sign with the WWE, but it was also you feeling like, okay, this is my chance. I'm not getting any younger. What, what was the what was your reasoning behind that? That you you probably had some you know money coming that you could have sat around. Oh, I I left four hundred and eighty seven thousand dollars on the table. Wow. I I had a million two contract, <laughs> and they would you know it was like I had to drop a lawsuit against the company, and it wasn't a lawsuit like I'm suing you. It was like you're not paying me Pay for me. my gimmicks. I'm looking at a like up on my uh, mantle behind me is a bowling ball. It has DDP on it, WCW. I never got a cent from that bowling ball. Huh. And it was leagues everywhere. Huh. And it was like 12 of us who were like, wait a minute. You guys haven't paid us on all these things. Yeah. So it was that was probably another half a million. Wow. And but, I but you just want but was it do you wanted to you wanted to be in the WWE, and it was that always, really? always WWF. You know, yeah. yeah, I wanted to be on that stage, even though I saw WCW as the show because we kicked their ass 
for almost two years. Yeah. You know, so and that's when my fame went through the roof. Yeah. And it wasn't I you know, I never thought about there being any heat between the companies <laughs> because you know, I didn't feel that way. Well, not between and the boys, maybe. But no, uh, there still was a lot of competition. Yeah, yeah and absolutely. There was a lot of animosity and stuff for the guys who came in. Uh, you know, it was there was a lot of heat there. Yeah, like, <laughs> and I understand why today, and I did a couple of years later, I understood. Yeah. Because, you know, history's written by the winners, and there are, you know, there's only going to be, as far as, you know, there were storytellers and, you know, they wanted to show like, Hey, we're going to beat WCW down. Yeah. And, but what's beautiful is you don't catch an attitude. You find the positive in what happened and keep working on the positive side of it. Because what was really cool was about I guess six years ago, um, you know, they called me about the very best of Nitro. Mm -hmm. And that was my first little foot back in the door. Yeah. Hosting those. And they sold like crazy. Then it went the best of Nitro 2 and then 3. And the company, like some people will say, so, you know, what do you think about that stalker angle? I think it was horrible. Yeah. It was horrible <laughs> for me. Yeah. It was a bad choice. But yeah. you have to understand, nobody put a gun to my head. Yeah. You know, no one said, oh, yeah, we, you have to do this. It's like, don't do it. Here's the, 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 the story I tell everybody. Um, it was the greatest thing that ever happened to me. And I'll tell you why. Because Vince has taught me so many lessons. Some of them mm -hmm. were positive for me at the time. Some of them were not. And, uh, but each one of them was super positive for what they've done for me. And as a businessman, like what I should have said to Vince that day was... Listen, great idea, but for someone else. Not mm. the character that I've spent the last 10 years building, really 12, 13 years building. You know, I want you to get the right brand. It's going to bring you the most money. When you want to do people's champion versus people's champion, call me. Yeah. And that would have been insane. But I didn't do that, and I did the thing that didn't work out for me. So what did I learn from that? And I always tell people, hey, man, all of my greatest failures were the reason why I've had the best success. Yes, yeah. You know, and in this scenario, what I should have done was got up and walk away from the table. That's the lesson I take from that. I also, I wanted to do People's Champion versus People's Champion two years before I ever got there. It's the only goal, Sean, the mm -hmm. only goal in my life that I let someone else take away from what my vision was. And like when I'm going to be a wrestler, I mean, Michael P.S. Hayes, he fell down laughing yeah. when I told him, like <laughs> literally fell down laughing. I mean, everybody thought I was crazy. If I listened to them, we're not having this discussion. We're not doing this interview. Yeah. Well, you know? if you wouldn't have listened to a lot of people, we wouldn't uh, along your right. road here. Yeah, right. but you look, but but looking back, and you say uh, you got to the big show, you got there. It may not have been the way you had envisioned it would be, but when you look in your body of work and and thinking that you know, here's a guy who started when he was 35. I mean, who would even give you a chance to to be a jobber? Uh, you know, yet alone uh, do what you did. 
So right. that has you know, when you walked away from when finally when you you know then that was part of your life was over because I want to get to the other chapter I've kept you for a long time but right. you have you to look back money. Dallas <laughs> yeah but you have to look back and go man I I don't know you do it once in a while because maybe you're always looking forward but that's that's unbelievable that stretch of work it it it, it was an amazing ride and again what I took away from that was that the two lessons, never let anybody take you off your goal. Never, never, you always can get up and walk away from the table because there's going to be something better. And so when Shark Tank later on would want us to come in and do their show, they wanted to control me. They wanted to control me promotionally. And I'm talking about from doing local TV, ABC, NBC, you know, to regional, to national, to YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, about my company. And I got to a point where I was like, you know what? My, my business partner was like, listen, we got to give them an answer. I said, tell them, send them an email. We love the show. We appreciate the opportunity, but we're going to pass. Uh-huh. And my business partner was like, well, bro, what are you talking about? We've been working for two years for this. I go, Steve, I can never let anybody control us. Yeah, we they wanted a big decision. chunk too, right? Of the... Yeah, they wanted a chunk and all that. And I wouldn't do it. Yeah. And 90 okay, but minutes the... later, no, 90 minutes later, they called me. And how do we fix this? That's <laughs> how we fix it. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. So let's, see. I mean, move along here with it, with the DDP, because you start out and uh, I, I, I guess you had been doing You'd been familiar with yoga uh, because well, that, of what happened. Right? What happened was when I blew my back out. Yeah. Before I win my first world title. Oh, uh, that was before then. Yeah. Yes, it was four yeah. months before that, oh. and I blew my back out, and the doctors told me my career was over because I mm. ruptured my L4 and L5. So mm. literally, my L4 and L5, it's vertebrae on vertebrae. There's yeah. no discs in there. Yeah, you're lucky and, to get out of bed. Right. <laughs> painfully <laughs> Yo, and yeah. and I, I i couldn't believe that and my my wife at the time kimberly trying to get me to do yoga i ain't doing it you know i'm not doing that you guys know? don't do that yeah right exactly so she bullied me into it and within three weeks i was blown away that i was actually feeling better now i'm doing the rehab too you know so i'm doing both one night I just mixed them and then I threw in some old school calisthenics a little after that, mm. but I had to do them with a slow burn movement. And then I created something called dynamic resistance. And all it is, is flexing and engaging the way you lift weights, but with no weight. Mm-hmm. And I'm wearing a heart monitor. So I see completely by accident, I create what today's known as DDP yoga a kick-ass cardiovascular workout that dramatically increases your flexibility and strengthens your core like never before with minimal joint impact. In less than three months, I'm back in the ring. At 42, they said my career's over. At 43, I'm the heavyweight champ. So, so Dallas, this isn't really, this isn't based on a lab scientific break. You just found what worked. Right. Added different things to it, and then developed a program that, I mean, we can we can list off the the accomplishments and the people that have benefited from this. But that is really was the basis of it, 
you know, for regular guys, as I think you originally had it, uh, for DDP, yoga. And, you know, it, it just really was to heal me. And <laughs> after that, I had to, John, I literally would, you know, you know what, how long TV is. Yeah. Oh, but I would get the TV because you know how long and how much you can wear on your body, cement, you know, free. Yeah, you're on those cement floors forever. Yeah. Besides Man, so what you're doing in the ring. <laughs> I would end up working out for, it would like four or five different times, and it would add up to two and a half to three hours that day. So by the time I hit the ring, I was warm and ready to go. And anytime I was on, go to a house show, I'd do it for an hour before I'd ever get in the ring, and I was ready to go. And I started sharing it with people. And I started watching people's lives change. And then I wrote a book about it. Um, then I did a first DVD series then a second DVD series that also had, you know, food recipes and some inspirational stuff. Then I did a third DVD series along with the release of an app. Yeah. And so during this time, uh, Dallas, were you helping some of the guys? I mean, I know that, you know, Sean uh, credits you helping him, uh, yeah. you know, Jericho. Jericho uh, even... was, Jericho's the one who really, it really, it's funny because when I did the very first Nitro, very best of Nitro promo, promo we did it in the back. And it was me and Shawn Michaels. Mm -hmm. And we were doing this thing where he, um, and it was funny because they wanted him to super kick me and then take the DVD. Yeah. And I said, I'm leaving. <laughs> they were like, what? Okay. I go, and Johnny Ace, you know, I go, I've, I've done all my beatdowns. We're yeah. going to do. Yeah. I said, you want to pick this up and you want this to sell? I'm not doing that. He goes, well, hold on, hold on. And he went and talked to Vince. He goes, no problem. And Vince just uh -huh. changed it. And uh -huh. so we did something funny in the back, you know, because Sean's funny as hell anyway. Yeah. So, but Sean says to me, he says, you know, Jericho is hurt. And I told him he needs to talk to you. And I saw the next day Jericho had like, you know, acupuncture pins in his back yeah. and, I, and I called him and it's the first time I've, and the only time I've ever had him pick up his phone yeah. and we talked for a couple minutes and he said, I was going to call you. And I'm like, you're full of it, yeah. you know, like, but I want to, I'm sending you a video of a disabled veteran I helped. If you're interested, hit me back. When he saw the end of that video of Arthur Borman, right. he literally called me back four minutes and 48 seconds later. And he yeah, said... This, was a, this guy wasn't ever supposed to walk again, right? Ever, no, like not without canes, wow. knee braces and back yeah. brace. Yeah. And he was 5'6", 297. Yeah. So and, Jericho sees this and calls you back. And he says, I will do whatever you tell me to. Uh. He's like, man, he goes, if I can get anywhere near those results, he goes, I mean, I will do it. Five weeks later, he calls me back. And he says, man, he goes, I'm, addict I'm addicted to it. Mm -hmm. I I'm doing it every day. He goes, I feel so much better. I'm like 85% pain-free. Three months later, he was 100% pain-free. 
Uh, he headlined WrestleMania with Punk. And the thing was, he told everyone about it. Yeah. Like, every, he's the only reason the rest of the boys do it. Really? You know, because he's like, you got to do it. You got to do it. So how does it, how does it, he had a herniated disc. Uh, mm-hmm. What is it about the program that allows somebody with something like that to heal? Well, for starters, one of the things he did, because he was still, you know, at that point he wasn't doing anything. Yeah. And he got, he got one of those, um, uh, what is it called? Epidurals. And because yeah. that's what he was saying to me when I talked to him. And I'm like, Chris, you realize that's just a pain blocker, right? Uh, He's yeah, like, it's still yeah. there. I go, yeah. It's still there. Yeah. I said, why you've got that and you can move if you do my stuff. And what I'm doing is, see, we're not just stretching. Like people think like, and a lot of yoga is stretching, but we don't do that. I've got you flexing and engaging as you're moving. So that's what gets your heart rate up because every time you flex or engage a muscle, your heart has to beat faster to get the blood to the muscle. But what I also have you doing is you're flexing and engaging. You're not just stretching. You're stretching and strengthening your muscles, ligaments, and tendons. And that's what helps the lengthening, lengthening your spine. Like for me, remember, I've got no discs in between L4 and L5 in my <laughs> spine. So if I'm not constantly lengthening and stretching and building the muscles around the spine so that it actually acts kind of like discs, it's just keeping it from being bone on bone. Now, if I'm on the road and crazy schedule of all day comic cons and stuff, and I don't get up early and work out, I'm going to start feeling really bad again. Yeah, it's like brushing your teeth. You got to brush your teeth every day if you got dentures. Yeah. You know, you got to brush yeah. your teeth. Yeah. You know, you got to wash your body. You got to strengthen your core as you get older, especially if you want to stay active. You know, because if you really look at most people can fight the pain up into their sixties, and that's where you see people fall apart. Yeah, and by seventies for sure. Yeah, like, forget I'm it. Not I'm not preparing for 65, Sean, because that's going to be there tomorrow. Yeah. I'm I'm preparing for 80. Yeah. You know, because I'm going to be active my entire life, just like Jack Lane was. Jack was active till he was 96. Yeah. Well, I want to get, yeah, I really want to get into this because, uh, uh, when you, I, I did the resurrection of Jake Roberts. And yeah, it was uh, physical healing for him, uh, of course, with the the DDP yoga. But did you have and and for the second time he was going to come live with you? <laughs> uh, did did, did right. you have any idea though what you were really getting yourself into? Because folks, I just want to tell you if you if you have an opportunity, and it's on Netflix, but you've got to watch this. The resurrection of Jake the Snake is is just an incredible tale. Uh, they're, they're, and one thing, you know, like I said, I'm I'm big about you know production value, whatever. The way you guys did this, the way you told the story. Um, but did you have any idea as, as you chronicled this? I mean, uh, what you were getting yourself into? Well, you know, I knew Jake was a handful. Steve yeah. had no idea. 
Steve had no idea. And there was a point right in the beginning where Jake was so amazing. He was so thankful when he first got here for that first show the whole time. But really that first week, like if I was eating or something, he'd come by and grab my plate. You know, he's like, what? Like, Jake, it's I got like, no, like, like he wanted to be able to do something for me. I like, dude, trust me. You did all your stuff for me. That's why we're here. Yeah. You know, and I always wanted to pay him back. Yeah. And, uh, and, uh, cause I love the guy, you know, he's like, he's like a big brother to me that got, went the wrong way. And, uh, it will also help me on so many different levels. So everything is like as peachy, nice as you can imagine. And I remember Steve coming up to me and I'm saying, you know, now, you know, if, if there's no conflict with you and Jake, there'll never be a, you know, a real movie out of what we're trying to film here. Yeah. I said, no conflict. I said, remember you said that. Right. Just like that. Like, and how many weeks in was this? Like maybe 10 days. Okay. And, and, and folks, this covers, uh, when you see it, I mean, it covers 18 months. <laughs> um, and I, but, but, you know, one thing that really struck me in this is I kept thinking, did, did Dallas have, did, you have counseling experience? I mean, this is, the, what you were doing, Dallas, I mean, not only uh, is what they have, you know, like we have cottonwood out here, you know, and out in Arizona, they have where people pay, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars to these trained counselors who handle these people. And you were a counselor besides the, uh, the we were doing with on the physical side for him. But I, I did you have any experience prior to that? Or was you just kind of going as here's I'm just trying to help a friend. You know, remember if we started the show, you know, talking about um, my guy, Ian, who's writing Own Your Life with me. Yeah. Um, it's the same thing. It's, it's, I've, when I couldn't, like, one of the really cool things about Tony Robbins yeah. was that in the 80s, when I couldn't read, I could get his cassette tapes and I could listen to them Yeah, and everything that he said was things that I already thought he just helped me put it in into different words to explain to people and when I was 22 I remember seeing um, Zig Ziglar somewhere on some VHS tape or show. I don't remember what it was at the time, but we're talking about 39 years ago. And this guy, Zig Ziglar, was a Bible thumper, <clears throat> motivational speaker. A lot of the things he said were amazing, though. Yeah. And one of the things I heard him say at the end of one of his talks, he said, you can get whatever you want as long as you help enough people get what they want hmm. now he didn't say it exactly like that that's kind of like my quote but it was that that's what he said mm -hmm. and as a kid you know i just was like <laughs> scott hall says dally's addiction is helping people <laughs> and you know it's really weird because it, when i go to one of these comic cons like you have to see like i just wish i had a camera there all the time to hear what people come up to me and say. Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, 
it doesn't matter how overloaded I am. Yeah. I'm still going to spend the time talking to that person. And next thing you know, they have my email. And like, I get, and I, we take a picture together. They send me the picture and the story, and I know exactly who they are. Oh. And if they actually put the work in, because there's a whole list I'm about to give them, mm-hmm. you do what I call the list, I will help you. Hmm. You stop putting the work in, I don't have the time. Yeah. The the interesting part is we both know most people aren't willing to put the work in. Yeah. They well, want they true. want it just to happen. Yeah. And that's why their dreams don't happen. Because yeah. they yeah. stop. Yeah. And, and during in Jake's journey, and you mentioned the he he fell down and you t- you did have conflict. And I'm sure there must have <laughs> times you were thinking, man, I don't think he's gonna make it, but he did he kept mm. getting up and he kept and that's just going through everything that he did. Um, and folks, uh, you know, we're not going to go into the whole story, but it was, it's an amazing tale. And, and, uh, and I do believe Jake's still doing well to this day. Oh, amazing. Uh, he's doing great. And he's going to a lot of these appearances. Um, so check it out. But what I did want to ask you though, because Scott kind of became a part of this, just, uh, I guess <laughs> by a uh, fortunate accident that, you know, you guys called him and, he was in a really bad place, and you got him yeah. there. And so we only really saw glimpses of his journey. Did he have the same uh, issues? Of did did he have those setbacks? And uh, and how's he doing? Never when he was here. Mm-hmm. He was. If you could be a hundred percent, he was a hundred percent. And he would get pissed at Jake because Jake, when he would fall, he'd try yeah. to take Scott with him. Uh-huh. You know, and Scott wouldn't do it. Uh-huh. And then when Scott went in the Hall of Fame, you know, he had hit this super high. Yeah. Well, what do I do next? Mm-hmm. And then came a fall. Uh-huh. And then he would fall on and off, but he only lives three blocks from here. From my Still, house. huh? <laughs> yeah. You know, he likes being around here because yeah. he knows I'm not going to judge him. Go back well, to judging, you know? And, and- I can't imagine what your house is like. If from what I have get, seen, I mean, you've got people in and out. Of the, you you still do classes at the house? No, everything's at the performance. Uh, the, okay, uh, the, the performance center. It, but it seemed like you know just people coming in and out of there. Your family must just be <laughs> you're oh, just yeah, well, used my, to it. But my, but my, it, my wife, my wife's really cool. But she we weren't married at that time. Uh-huh. You know, and she was just coming into my life in the beginning of that movie, uh-huh. and. Uh, you know, since then, but we still have a ton of people in and out of the house. Yeah, yeah. But they're not, you know, they're athletes. Um, like this one guy I'm working with, uh, Anthony Agogo, mm-hmm. um, definitely the potential to be a world champion at you know boxing at 160 pounds. Um, it, 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 he's that no out. It's not about alcohol or anything. It's about just rehabbing his body and getting him ready for his next run. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, all of the positive, inspirational talking, you know, that I do to people, you know, I don't think it's, I guess you'd call it counseling, but I'm just talking to people about life. Well, it's, be- it's beyond just the, the yoga and, and lifestyle. I mean, you're really helping some of these people that, uh, you know, probably wouldn't be with us. And we know a lot of the uh, superstars uh, from the World Wrestling Federation, WWE, and also guys that were with the WCW and other uh, have are not here today because they didn't have 
certainly the programs they have now. And and one yeah. thing I wanted to ask you though, has do you have any relationship as far as is the WWE taking advantage of what you're doing? Because it seems like you know who better than someone who's walked their walk uh, to help these guys that that understands and maybe not uh, you know maybe uh, the uh, uh, having been an addict or whatever, but you understand where they come from. Uh, have they? Is there? Uh, are you part of that wellness program? Because if if you're not, you should be. <laughs> you know, I, I I'm not, but they they are w, you know, like it's like it's funny because. You know, like I say, when the very best of nitros started to come off, like got me yeah. back in the family and, you know, and, and, you know, just everything that's happened over the last few years, bringing me back for the thousandth episode, the old school raw, yeah. bringing Jake back, getting to induct, you know, it's so funny when Jake was getting, in, you know, inducted, I'm thinking who else is going to induct it? Of course I'm going to induct him. And then I got the call for Mark Carano going, Hey D, I got great news. I'm like, Oh, what's up? He goes, we want you to induct Jake. And I'm thinking, oh, that's right. It's your TV. <laughs> like, they have to right. ask you. Yeah. They have to ask you, you know, if they want you. Yeah. And uh, that, you know, that was another step closer to my own induction. You yeah, know? I was going to say, what did it, what did it mean uh, oh. for you for that to uh, come to you after? Oh, God. I'm looking at, I'm looking at the picture in my office. Oh. Of me and Vince and Triple H, and then of the whole group of us, uh, it was um, you know positively living. Have you got a chance to see that yet? The uh, the DVD that they did on uh, on my career. No, I have not seen that it, yet. But I will. I have the now. So <laughs> it, it, it's it's called positively living. I'm not sure if it's on the network yet, but it will be eventually. I'm sure. Okay. Um, but at the end of the one day of filming. It was the only day we filmed because you know, they had all they had so many interviews for me yeah. over the years. Um, but when they were putting this all together, they wanted to get me at my at my DDP Yoga Performance Center and you know and, and around town. But they also wanted to get me at my home. And this was the last last thing I was shooting sunset. And at uh, at some point, I'm getting ready for them to go to film this, and then I get a, the the um, Producer Michael hands me a phone and says, boss wants to talk to you. Mm. Hey, Paul, what's up, buddy? You know, and I'm thinking, oh, man, what if, you know, I called him like three times, right? Mm -hmm. And I couldn't remember what I wanted to talk to him about. So yeah. I'm trying to think. So it took me out of my, you know, where my brain was, you know, sitting there getting filmed, getting ready to get filmed. So it took me out of my element. Plus, it was October. So I'm not expecting a Hall of Fame call. Yeah. You know, I, I, I'm thinking he's calling me back. Yeah. And now I can't remember what the hell I wanted to talk to him about. And You're talking and, about the call from Triple H. Folks. Yes, right. yes. <laughs> he said <Paul>. so, <laughs> exactly, Yeah, exactly, Triple H. And uh, so I, I'm focused on what the hell am I going to say? I can't remember yeah. what I called him about. <laughs> and and then he starts talking about my career. And then at some point, he starts really putting me over. And I'm thinking, oh, man, is this that call? <laughs> and, you know, my wife knows. She won't, I wouldn't let everybody, oh, dude, you're going in this year. I'm like, just shut up. I don't want to hear that. Because <laughs> I, don't, I don't want that. I don't want, when I get told, I get told. 
And until then, don't bring that up because when it happens, it happens. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, I know it's going to be the biggest thing in my career ever, you know, when that happens. And uh, I realize, okay, this is happening. Mm. And I start getting really choked up. Yeah. And, you know, at the end, you know, we, you know, we're bringing you in and, you know, super proud of you because Paul was there. Uh-huh. He was, when he started his terrorizing, his first thing from Killer Kowalski school, his next place is WCW. Mm. I'm managing at the time and shifting over to be a wrestler. Uh-huh. So he was there. And right when, when Johnny Ace one day came through and gave me the diamond cutter, Paul was there in the ring with us. Mm. So you're like, even though I changed it, make it my own, yeah. he was there. So he watched everything. And yeah. there was a time where, <clears throat> where actually Paul did a diamond cutter during his career for a finish one night. And I saw it. There's another guy that never picks up the phone. Yeah. But he picked it up the night I called him. Uh-huh. And he's like, hey, buddy, how you doing? I'm like, hey, man. I go, I, I need a favor. He goes, sure, what do you need? I said, bro, don't. Don't say yes yet, because I, I have no right to ask you this, but I got to ask you. You know, I love your finish, the pedigree, man. It's amazing. I said, but I saw you do the diamond cutter the other night, man. I'm just starting to get this over. I go, uh-huh. there's any way, bro, you know, you, you, you wouldn't do it, man. I would so appreciate it. He goes, done, D. He never <laughs> that was did it, it again. He never did it again. <laughs> It was huge for my career. Yeah. So all these things are going through my brain while he's saying this, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, then I just tell him I love him, man, and thank you. And I hand the phone to the producer, and he goes, so what did you think? Because I realized somewhere in the middle of that, they're filming me. Mm-hmm. And I say, what do I think? I say, I wish you were filming him. I said, he said some amazing stuff. He goes, oh, yeah, <laughs> we, we're filming him, too. I go, really? Uh-huh. He's like, oh, yeah. We're going to put it at the end of your Positively Living, um, your, your documentary. I was like, oh, my God, that's going to be amazing. Oh, very cool. <laughs> yeah, well, was that was, uh, yeah, it has been quite a journey, uh, Dallas. And um, you've got other stuff going on. I don't know how you keep up or anybody can keep up with you, that's for sure. Uh, you know, the stuff with the WWE and they would, with their wellness program, they would be well advised to make it part of it because it is, it's beyond the, the physical part of it. Uh, it's, it's the whole package. And I just think it's something that those guys and they have already shown that they, they, they relate to it. You mentioned now there's a, maybe a tie to the NFL coming up and that's, uh, I mean, you have to have never at the beginning of this, that you would ever be yeah. <laughs> having these kind of things going on. Like, wow. And I got to put a plug in here for my show. Uh, Superstition. It's on uh Friday nights on sci-fi. Um, I was on last week. I come on again in about six weeks. And that episode, I'm through the whole thing. Uh, It's really my episode. I think I've already talked to the producers, executive producers. They love what I did. And I'm going to be like one of the cast next year if it gets picked up, which will be really cool. So anybody listen, if you like the supernatural, sci-fi, superstition, uh, it was, it's a lot of fun being on the show. It's really entertaining. Uh, it's a Mario Van, Mario Van People show. And if you want to follow me, if you want to know what I'm doing, 
you know, if you're a Twitter person, at RealDDP, at DDP Yoga, Facebook, Diamond Dallas page, uh, that's you know, my athlete page. Uh, you can catch everything I'm doing there. Or if you just want to know what's happening with DDP Yoga or anything, get on my mailing list, which, you know, we put out mailers, you know, probably about once every other week and might be inspirational stories, might be where I'm going to be appearing. Uh, I'm going to be up in Pittsburgh, uh, I guess, in, no, uh, in November. Uh, and just go to, uh, go to DiamondDollarsPage.com or DDPYoga.com and pull up uh, appearances. I'll tell you where I'm going to be at. Yeah, and um, try and keep up, folks. Uh, you know, Dallas, you've, over, you've overcome the odds your whole life. Uh, uh, and there's a lot of people out there listening, and I'm, I, I know that you certainly reached a few today talking about you know how people have overcome a lot. And what is your message to those folks out there? Never give up. It's never too late. Like the reason why I'm like I said I was going to be a working actor before I was 65. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I mean, like, make a living working actor. And it's just to show what's possible. Um, there's one last movie I'm going to pitch that it will be out next year. It's called Relentless. And it's the story of how DDP Yoga has become an 10-year overnight success. You know, and whatever you're facing... You know, we are we are judged by the adversities we are hit with, but not so much the adversities we are hit with, yeah. but how we overcome them and move forward. And don't let anybody tell you what you can't do. My whole life has been all about that. Yeah. You know, oh, you tell me I can't do that? Well, watch me. You know, because I'm going to prove you, not so much prove you wrong, but prove me right. Yeah. And that's when the real test comes, when you get up. Uh, Dallas, it seems like uh, whether you're running clubs or managing wrestlers or becoming one of the uh, hugest names in professional wrestling, now acting, or, of course, DDP Yoga, uh, man, it's clear you've never taken no for an answer and and have never let an obstacle keep you from uh, getting to your goal. Uh, You're 61 now. Uh, I imagine you still think you're you're just getting started. (laughs) Right? Yeah, I get reminded sometimes that you're down the road some. Yeah. uh, No, my wife and I are building a because I want a I want a home that has a first floor master because I don't want to deal with those steps anymore. Yeah. But uh, uh, you know, I don't know how many guys at 61 are building their dream home, yeah, you know, that's but right. that's the way it should be. Exactly. You know, it's like you can have whatever you want as long as you help enough people get what they want. Diamond Dallas Page, thanks so much for coming on to Primetime. Oh, buddy, thanks for having me on, man. I appreciate it. Uh, awesome talking with DDP, you know, and I, I regret that I never had the opportunity to work with him while I was with the WWE, but I'm glad I've gotten a chance to get to know him. He is truly one amazing individual, and we're going to be uh, checking in with him from time to time as well. As I mentioned at the top of the podcast, I'm going to have more information on how you can win one of those uh, unreleased, unseen matches DVDs from the WWE through our Facebook page. Uh, as I said, uh, you know, get started. I'm going to have all the details next week on this, but go ahead and get started. Go to the, our Facebook page, Primetime with Sean Mooney, and like us. 
And uh, I'll tell you how uh, you can win one of those DVDs next week. Thanks for listening, everybody. Remember, you can reach me at Sean Mooney Who on Twitter, at Sean Mooney Who. And, of course, you can email me directly at primetime at mlw.com. Primetime at mlw.com. I answer all those emails, folks. I do. I I get there uh, and check that uh, account pretty much every day. And uh, I will uh, return an email back. So tune in next week for Primetime with Sean Mooney and another very special guest. I'll talk to you then. Take care, everybody. I'm out. Interested in starting your own podcast? Audioboom can help with our $9.99 monthly subscription plan for hosting and distribution. You'll get 200 minutes of recording time per episode, a branded homepage on the Audioboom platform, embeddable players for web and social media, advanced analytics, and so much more. To sign up for your $9.99 monthly subscription plan, go to audioboom.com start. That's A-U-D-I-O-B-O-O-M dot com slash S-T-A-R-T.